0: Well, good morning, and welcome to Regen. And did I hear that it was a special someone's birthday today? Whose whose birthday is it today? Ollie, how old are you? Four. Oh, my. You're not three anymore. Now you're four. Well, we are so excited to wish you happy birthday, Ollie. Um, But welcome to Regen. Um, At Regen, we're here to interrupt people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus, and um, so we hope that this morning as we sing together and um, as we hear from God's word and spend time together, that you will feel interrupted in the best way possible. And um, if it's your first time with us, welcome. We're so glad to have you. And um, on the back table is um, a hay card you can fill out to get our emails. Uh, you can get a mug. And I'm not sure, were we handing out like the fall invitations? Did that happen? The, they're in the Boltons? Okay. And in your bulletin is an invitation. Thank you. In your bulletin is an invitation. Uh, Next week is our fall kickoff. We're going to have free Regen ranger t-shirts for the kids and Nova will be here in the parking lot with their little trailer with um, donuts and coffee. And so if you have a friend or family member who's maybe been interested in coming to Regen next Sunday would be a super fun Sunday to invite and bring them because there'll be donuts and coffee and that's just fun. Um, and then for those of you, a big thank you to those of you who came and helped uh, set up for the Grace rummage sale. Um, we did that last Sunday. And just a little update, they've raised 5400 for their food pantry so far. So your hard work was not in vain. <laughs> so your hard, sweaty work because it's not air-conditioned. So... Um, so we're excited about that and then upcoming uh, this Saturday on the 8th is our recovery was the recovery rally and we're going to be having a table Um, so if you want to come and help give out uh, t-shirts and sunglasses and just support our community and those in recovery we'd love to have you it's at Eastwood Field from 10 a.m to 2 p.m so um, okay Kyle's going to have another announcement later about circle so we'll talk about that but I'm going to have Zach come up now and pray for our offering
1: Morning, guys. Uh, if you guys are going to be doing your offering today, you can. Um, there's a, a little card in your bulletin. You can use that um, and do cash check. There's also an option to get online and, and do something that way, too. So um, before I pass these around, if you guys just want to bow your head and pray with me, Father, you are, you just love us so much. I think it would be right to say that you are the the master of everything, but just the master of love. Um, Lord, I I ask that you change our hearts today as we give up whatever we need to give up and offer to you whatever we need to offer so that it's your kingdom that can just start to slowly change our heart so that we can move out and, and change the world and participate with you. Lord, I ask that uh, as you change our hearts today through music and through the sermon that we see you more clearly. We see your character and we see each other more clearly so that we can see that image that you've given each of us. Something so bright that we just know it's, just that you're, it's, that, it's your love that's radiating from them and it's nothing that they've done. It's everything that you've given to us. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Um, God,
2: we need your strength today, and we're really just struck by the fact that you are gracious enough to share your strength with us. And so, Father, through what we say and through what we pray and through what we sing, Father, may we find our strength increasing Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, kids can go back with Miss Caitlin. We're thinking kids K through six, and uh, we're going to get ourselves situated here. Um, Steph and I are doing a new thing today. Am I really hot, Dan? Can I come? Yeah, it's okay. Um, I like to be loud, but um, I and I am loud. Uh, we're going to co-teach, kind of, as we close out the Sermon on the Mount today, but. Uh, just want to share a little bit and remind you, so next Sunday is fall kickoff, and we'd love to have you here for that with us, and then um, uh, starting, not this coming week, but next week our circles off. So circles are uh, groups of people that meet in homes, they meet every week, they meet around a meal, and they engage in just re- like predictable patterns, so it's the same thing every week, of something that we call up, in, and out. So Jesus shows us. That he has three priorities. That he has a priority to be with his father up. That he has a priority to be with his brothers and sisters in. And he has a priority to expand his spiritual family, which is out. And so every week, uh, there's a circle that's hosted by the Bannings and the Bylers on Tuesday. And a circle that's hosted, actually, everybody from the circle is here this weekend. That wasn't the case last weekend. There's a, a circle hosted by the Coopers and the Mangerys and the Brits on Wednesday night. And our, our, Urging our encouragement is that if you have one of those nights free, to be a part of one of those circles. And we really want to see our community doing more than just kind of the Sunday morning thing, we want to see some more things happening. And so, the next three weeks, I'm going to be preaching a sermon series around circles. Haha, <laughs> around circles. And um, by the end of it, you will be, you know, either Annoyed, or really ready to be in a circle. So, uh, that's that. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter seven. I'm taller than that. Okay, Matthew chapter seven. I also say that it's very distracting
0: because Zoe is like right here. So. Yeah, Zoe's front last, row. At the last service, it was really easy to sit and look very interested in his sermon, but you know, Zoe's like right
2: there. Zoe's so like yo girl. Zoe. <laughs> I should should I at least go down a little bit so I'm not like 19 feet taller than you. I just don't want to slide off. Yeah. Okay. Let me get myself. Hang on. I don't know why I have this. Okay. So many things, guys. Okay, Matthew chapter seven. Uh, we're in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and this inside, uh, it, we're going inside the world of the upside down as we see Jesus unpack what it means for us to follow Him. You really could call the Sermon on the Mount Jesus's manifesto for a whole new way to be human, right? And so we've seen Jesus poke at everything. He's poked the bear of our bodies. He's poked the bear of our words, our marriages, our sex lives, our money. He's poked at how we pray, about how we give, about how we view the Bible. It's about how we live into being God's people. Everything about it is that. And Jesus focuses his sermon on doing. He focuses it on doing, not just on listening or hearing, not even just at the level always of our affections and our feelings or, or our thinking, our beliefs. Jesus focuses on doing and ends the sermon with these visuals to help us zero in on that and to be called to do what, and put into practice what Jesus says. And I love how Jesus ends this sermon In Matthew chapter 7, we're just looking at verses 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28, oh, and 29. Okay, that's a lot of verses. All right. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus paints a vivid picture of two kinds of people, a person who hears What he says and does what he says, and a person who hears what he says and doesn't. And the person who does hear and does do, their life is solid. And it's not a protection from bad things happening, it's the ability to withstand. Bad things happening. And we've met in our journey in ministry together a lot of people who have gone to church their whole lives, who know a lot about the Bible, who would claim to be Christians in every way. But when those rains come in torrents and floodwaters, they collapse. And the reason is it's one thing to do churchy things, and it is another thing to put into practice the way of Jesus. Putting into practice the way of Jesus is what gives us that security and that sure foundation that we're looking for. And Jesus says that means we have to hear and do. Anyone who listens and does these things. Uh, The ESV says anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And so we wanted to end this sermon series, which has been long, 16 weeks. We started at the end of May. We wanted to put into like a frame of reference around this series. And so Steph and I are co-teaching today for the first time. Well, second time now, and uh, what we did is we each kind of chose areas of the sermon that we felt were important to us, and unpacked them for what it looks like for us to put into practice the teachings of Jesus together. So, it's all you, babe. Here we go. Um,
0: okay. So the two, so the section I really wanted to start with is um, comes from Matthew. Uh, 625 and kind of through 34. And there were two phrases in this section of the Sermon on the Mount that kind of haunted me as Kyle preached um, the sermon and just I was thinking about it. And the first one was that no one can serve two masters, and that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. And personally, I I struggle with not serving two masters. And for me, those two masters tend to be uh, Jesus and security. And um, when I try to especially feed security, it only leads to anxiety, hence the do not worry. So I, I was thinking a lot about this and thought like, okay, what does it look like when we're serving the master of security? What, what things overtake us? What thoughts are we consumed with? And I came up with a list of five. I probably could have done like 10 or 20. Um, I limited to five though. But the first one is um, you might be serving the master of security when you spend more time thinking or worrying about how to make your savings account bigger than you are thinking about how you can be generous. So in money, when you're, you know, the accumulation of wealth and security, um, which is something that I can struggle with. I want to be generous, but I want to make sure that we're we're taking care of first. You know, I want to make sure that's taken care of. Second, it might be when you resist new things because they make you feel uncomfortable or out of control. And um, we were talking about the last uh, campus that, you know, Kyle and I have very different personalities. He tends to struggle more with shame. I tend to struggle more with anxiety. And when new things start to come up, um, so we're expecting a baby in January, and... And as I think about that, I'm like trying to plan ahead and I want to really be prepared and, you know, as much as I can. And Kyle is like, it's going to be awesome. I can guarantee that about three weeks in, I'm going to be like, I'm fine. And Kyle's going to be like, what just happened? (laughs) Because he's always optimistic on the front end, and then we get into it, and he'll always like, don't worry, it'll be fine. And I'm like, no, but I need to prepare so that when it is kind of maybe not what I was expecting, at least I was prepared for it to not be what I was expecting. You know, see what I did there? That's, yeah. All right, so um, the third one is when we believe the lie that we deserve nice things because we worked hard. And sometimes I was, you know, thinking, like, social media makes it really hard because everyone is putting up their vacations, their new homes um, their kids, uh, you know, their cutest, best moments, you know, like life, the life we live is very much lived in comparison with other people. And so it's very easy to feel like, hey, I'm working hard. I'm doing all the right things over here. So why aren't I getting the good things that other people are getting? But that's when we're worshiping security and not Jesus. Fourth is when we try to consistently plan for and save for worst case scenarios. You know, and you can make yourself crazy. This is like endless. Worst case scenarios are like, you can walk, you know, anyway, I will not even get started. But there are endless worst case scenarios that you can be prepared for. Consume our time, our thoughts, our energy. And finally, the fifth one is when we find ourselves unable to let go of thinking about things that worry us, because we're sure that if we let go of them, God won't notice them, pay attention, and take care of them. You know, we kind of, we know it's not true, but at the same time we think, if I just keep worrying about this, then God will have to pay attention to it and do something. But if I forget, he might forget. Like, he might not know that this is, like, really important. So we hold on to it, and we almost get some kind of control out of being able to think about that thing and rehearse it and recite it and worry about it instead of saying, like, hey, Jesus, can you step in here? Um, So, um, you know, in seasons of my life when I've been, and that's kind of even been recently, been given over to the lie of, like, Jesus isn't good or he's not going to step into the things I need him to step into – Um, the Sermon on the Mount speaks to that directly. Jesus says directly in this passage, oh, it just disappeared, but it was there, in this passage, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And those of us who are worriers say, well, it sure feels like it. (laughs) Like, I'm going to at least give it a shot and see what happens. Um, But the reality is, it doesn't. And and I've been thinking, too, in this season of waiting through this pregnancy, and um, most of you know our story, some of you don't. It's been a long road. And um, even coming through this pregnancy, it's a daily journey in trusting Jesus. Um, It literally feels like waiting out day by day. And knowing that um, God's best for us might not be what we would hope for it to be, but trusting in who he is and in who his character is, um, and that as soon as I try to take responsibility for that, I put myself in the position to be controlled by worry. Worry becomes my master instead of Jesus, and nothing good comes from that other than a lot of anxiety. And so the thing that I started thinking about was, we know that wealth is an illusion like wealth is something we can accumulate in this life but doesn't follow us Um, but so is security and we don't always think about it that way but security is something we can endlessly chase after the hope to be safe the hope for our loved ones to be safe Um, and the reality is that we're fragile this side of heaven we're dust and so without Jesus who is our security we have nothing to cling to And so um, Jesus is teaching in this section that worrying doesn't change a thing, but seeking him does. And he's not saying hard things won't happen. In fact, I would say he's saying the opposite. He's saying hard things are going to come, they're going to happen, and your only security through them is going to be by being rooted and grounded in me. And so um, as you uh, think about your life and think about the things that um, you hold on to, that you hold dear to, that you don't know how to kind of let go of, um, just a reminder that Jesus walks with us, even though our world constantly changes. You know, our institutions change, our churches change, our jobs change, our wealth changes, our health changes. Um, Jesus alone is the solid rock upon whom we can stand. He is the one alone who gives us the security to face each day and the troubles that it might bring.
2: Unmute myself. Okay. Um, What's interesting about how we ended up doing this was that a lot of Like the parts that I chose and the parts that Steph chose are very reflective of kind of how we relate to God. So Steph typically finds it easier to relate to God through prayer. So like that's even reflected in this conversation about anxiety. Um, I tend to find it easier or more life-giving to relate to God through Scripture. And um, one of the things that struck me most in the Sermon on the Mount was how Jesus expresses uh, his relationship to Scripture. In Matthew 5... Verse 17, he says, don't misunderstand why why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. Instead, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of God but anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus keeps emphasizing that in the arc of scripture and that there's an arc of it, that there's a story that all of it points to him, that he kind of takes up residence in this missing spot in the Old Testament that all points to him and that he is carrying the story forward. He's unpacking in Matthew chapter five that the Bible all of this book, it's not irrelevant now that he's come. It's more relevant to us than ever. It's more real. It's more true. And that's why Jesus says that the the Bible, especially the Old Testament, he says it's not going anywhere. I like how John Mark Cummer says, as long as there's a universe, there will be a Bible. And, and Jesus has this relationship with scripture that I find tremendously profound because we see Jesus living this idea of not ignoring or trivializing anything in scripture but actually living it out there's this part in the gospels where the where in I think it's in Luke 4 and it's also in Matthew and in Mark that the text says that Jesus was driven into the desert by the Holy Spirit which it's interesting to think of God as driving us, right? And uh, he's driven there and he's tempted by Satan in three different ways. And Satan kind of hits on like his appetite and his ambition and, and a desire for approval. And as Jesus faces each of these temptations, he responds by quoting scripture. He responds by actually quoting the book of Deuteronomy, which I think is very interesting because that's a book that a lot of us try to fly through as fast as we possibly can. But he responds with scripture. Jesus um, is constantly engaging with his father through scripture. That up priority that Jesus has is fed and fueled by uh, the Bible. And I think what we see in Jesus's life often looks very different than how we tend to use scripture Uh, I like how uh, the message translates verse 19 of this. It says, uh, trivialize even the smallest item in God's law and you will only have trivialized yourself. Like that's interesting, right? He says, but take it seriously and show the way for others and you will find honor in the kingdom. I've been thinking about how do we trivialize the Bible? I think one of them is like Christians love to tell Bible jokes. Like guys, I went to Bible college. Like you have never heard more Bible jokes in your life uh, than I had but and thats and that 's one way and, and I get it that you know god 's a big fan of us laughing so that 's great, but I think what we tend to do to trivialize the Bible are things like proof texting our opinions and our beliefs, whether politically or theologically. Proof texting is just when you find one verse in scripture that agrees with you and you hang on to it as if to say, look, see, I'm right. But it's really easy to take one text and make it say anything that you want. In fact, um, there's a really great picture that goes around on the internet of like a verse a a day calendar. So like one of those rip-off calendars. And it's it's a verse that says like, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you whatever you want. And um, what's interesting is that verse is said by Satan when he's tempting Jesus. Okay. And so like, that's, that's like a really good example of proof texting, right? We take this one verse out of the story that Jesus is trying to tell one big story and move that forward. I think another way that we trivialize the Bible is when we kind of treat it like a doctor saying like, take two of these and call me in the morning. When we kind of frantically search through scripture to find something that makes us feel comfortable and happier and kind of lifts our spirits and then move on. The Bible isn't novocaine it's not a prescription it's it's a script for our living and when we kind of just toss two into our souls and move on I I understand that I understand in moments of crisis kind of the need to kind of find out what's true but I think that the Bible uses a better word about storing up treasure in our hearts that we might not sin against it about meditating on the law day and night I mean some of these moments that we've even been going into doctor's visits Every time we have a doctor's appointment, I have a panic attack starting the night before until the doctor's appointment happens. And the, at nine weeks when we got to see Tiny Tenant for the first time, the verse I just kept repeating to myself over and over and over again came out of one of the Psalms. I can't even remember which one it was, but let your steadfast love be upon us, O Lord, even as we hope in you. And I didn't just take that and move on. I mean... As, like, all of these things are happening in the doctor's office, I'm going to let your steadfast love be upon us, O Lord, even as we hope in you. Let your steadfast love be upon us, O Lord, even as we hope in you. I think that's a very different approach of, like, taking a passage of Scripture to dwell in. And a person, by the way, that's really good at this is Art. Um, Art will text me a passage of Scripture that's always pretty timely or pretty reflective of maybe where he's at or where he knows I'm at. And the funny thing about Art is he can stay at home in like one passage of scripture for a very long time. So if you didn't know, by the way, Art and Pam are the worship leaders now at Grace Campus, and it's been really great and amazing. And uh, he read a passage of scripture this morning that he told me about two weeks ago. That's different. That's, That's what I mean by when we make our home in a passage of scripture as opposed to just popping it and moving on. And another way that I think we trivialize it is Social media sharing of scripture is one thing, but are we living it, right? You know, like, I feel like a classic, a classic Bible verse picture on the internet is there's like a sunset with a silhouette of an eagle, and it says like, um, he will make you rise up like eagles, right? It's like Isaiah 41 I think that's great. I think the Bible is great to like be sharing publicly. I think social media is a unique platform to invite people into our lives. But I think I'm always curious about what, what would happen if like we were held to account for how we were living in response to something we posted. And then I think another key piece is do we... Do we uh, know Jesus through the Bible, or do we just know the Bible? I mean, Jesus, through the text, encounters his father, but it's really easy for us to to, to just know the Bible and not know the Lord, which, if you missed last week, that's why there were people that, at the end of days that say, Lord, Lord, I knew all about the Bible. And Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you, because Jesus wants to know us personally. So two ways that I think we can take Scripture seriously in line with this. One is, I think... Um, it's wise when we speak scripture to each other and over each other and pray scripture for each other, as opposed to giving each other cutesy little trite sayings to get us through. Um, I preach regularly on this line that people say, like, God won't give you more than you can handle. And the reason I keep preaching on it regularly is people keep saying it to me, and I find it disturbing, right? And so, like, But that's not the best that we have to offer one another in moments of hardship. What we have is words of life. Uh, To whom else would we go? The disciples say, looking at this. I think another one is, and I'm serious about this, like getting into God's word every day is key. And I think in a time when we have more Christian content available to us, as more content becomes available our appetite for scripture actually is almost decreasing, I feel like, and so whether it's through the Daily Audio Bible, which is something that Steph uses, there's a great app called Read Scripture by the Bible Project that has these really helpful videos interspersed to help you understand the whole of a book, Um, something like that, or even if you're, like, not tech-savvy, just getting a study Bible, right? Get, like, the ESV study Bible, and there's going to be these notes at the bottom of the page that are going to help you double-click on maybe a concept or phrase that you don't understand. And give you a sense of it. I think when we read God's word and then understand it, and then, bonus, live it, live it, we find something that's where we find the power that Jesus is inviting us into in this text.
0: All right, so uh, my next section is going to be a familiar one, I would think, with most people. Um, it's from Matthew 6, uh, verse 9, and it's the Lord's Prayer. So it says, uh, Pray like this Our Father in heaven. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation but rescue us from the evil one. And if I'm honest I really struggle with this. I didn't really want to talk about this passage because um, to me it's it smacks of something that I don't love. Like it kind of smacks of like religion and sometimes almost like superstition. See Zoe doesn't like it either. She's crying. <laughs> Yeah, Lord's Prayer. Um, And so I really wrestle, I really wrestle with it. And um, so depending on your background, you may or may not feel that way. You may associate it more with that than not. Um, But as Kyle has talked about, we're in a discipleship group where we're being discipled every week. And so this week we were talking about prayer and what did we use but the Lord's Prayer. And so I read the chapter and was still feeling kind of grumpy about it. Like, I really just don't love this. Like, it just doesn't feel authentic to me. Like, it feels just kind of rote. Um, but as we talked about it, I was really convicted and, um, so I was kind of awake in the night the other night and the Lord just really kind of wouldn't let me alone about it. So I was like, okay, fine. We're going to talk about the Lord's prayer. So a lot of what I'm taking is from 3DM, which is the discipleship, um, group that we're being trained by and from Chael who, uh, is our discipleship, Disciples. disciples us. Yeah. So um, so one of the things in Matthew, it does not, sh- like, have this verse, but in Luke 11, where the Lord's Prayer is also shared, it leads into it by saying the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. And so as Chael was teaching it through, teaching us through it this week, the thing that I was really struck by was the idea that the disciples saw, they had heard Jesus pray before, they knew that he had a special connection with the Father, and so they came to him and said, teach us how to pray, explain to us how you pray, kind of like show us behind the curtain, like let us know what you're thinking, why you say the words that you say, why you, you know, choose to pray the way that you pray. And so as I thought more about that, I thought Jesus didn't shove it down their throats. He like had something they wanted, there was something they wanted to understand, and that must have meant that his prayer life was compelling. And so um, as I thought about that, I thought it's not about the words, but it's about the relationship. So it's about the relationship Jesus had with the Father that he expressed through the prayer. But it's also about the relationship Jesus had with the disciples. So when we talk about the triangle, the up, in, and out, we're talking about the up relationship with the Father and the in relationship with the disciples. And, um, and so it's almost like they're saying to Jesus, like, help us to understand your thought process. Like, let us know what's going on. And the second part of that I thought about is, is my prayer life compelling, if someone were to kind of observe me praying, like would they think, hey, you really know the Father. I'd like to know more about how you know, like how you talk to the Father. Like talk to me about that. Um, And so I think that was really uh, convicting to me because it, it shows a lot about our relationship in the way that we pray. And so the Lord's Prayer isn't a special set of words. It's not like a chant or an incantation. It's a living, breathing picture of what our relationship with the Father can be like, how we can talk to him. So I want to have Dan throw up this hexagon. And the shape doesn't really matter other than just that we're visual, so it's to help us remember. Um, But this was some stuff that was really helpful for me this week. So the Lord's Prayer is basically broken up into six components. And it's the Father's character, um, the Father's kingdom, the Father's provision, the Father's forgiveness, the Father's guidance, and the Father's protection. And so as we um, were, were working through that, um, they were we were encouraged to pray through the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to give you three different ways to do that. And I'd encourage you, if one of these ways kind of sticks out to you or, like, strikes a nerve with you, like, try that this week. Like, just try to—it might just help kind of if you're in a rut with prayer, you're not sure where to start. This is a good way to start. Um, and so the first thing is to take an issue that you're struggling with and pray it through like this hexagon. So like, let's say that you're struggling, um, with with financial stuff and medical bills. It would look something like, God, you're my good father. So that's like God's character, his goodness. Um, and I know, uh, I want to be generous and I want to be part of bringing your kingdom from heaven to earth. So like, that's the father's kingdom part. Um, and then like, father you know that i'm struggling and i need money to pay these bills would you provide like would you bring provision and and father when i doubt that you care about me and that you're going to provide would you forgive me for that doubt and help me to trust you um and father for guidance would you help me figure out ways to handle my finances better so that i can give more generously and not maybe be so stuck and father would you protect us from from more medical difficulties so we don't have as many bills so that's just an example, a way to pray and issue through it. The second one um, is to use the days of the week to pray for each one of these. So like Monday, praying Father's character and so on. And the guy who shared this was a pastor. And so he said, um, you know, there's nothing I need more on a Monday morning than to be reminded about who God is, you know, to pray God like you are my father. You're good. You're steadfast. You're loving like today might be a rough day, but just be with me. Um, And all the way down, and he was saying, you know, and then on Saturday, like, Lord, protect me as I write my sermon and head into church tomorrow. You know, so for him, those are particular. If your schedule's different, you can flip it. There's nothing magic about the days with those um, those particular, but it's just another way to focus in um, on the Lord's Prayer and on the character of who the Father is. And then finally... Um, you can just pray through the Lord's Prayer and let the Lord draw your attention to which of those six components you need to be reminded of. Um, So again, to kind of use the medical bills, if you start praying the Lord's Prayer and you're like, I just can't stop thinking about these bills that are really stressing me out. Like, that's just where I'm at. Like, lean into that and be really praying, like, Lord, like, provide. You know, like, I need your provision. I need your guidance. Like, please Um, you know, like let the Lord's character speak to what you're walking through instead of feeling like this is just something I have to recite. Like, let it be a guide that leads you to a place to be comforted and reminded of God's character. Um, and so just kind of to end on this idea for this section that the power in the Lord's prayer has nothing to do with the words and everything to do with the relationship that we have with the father. And so this is just a reminder for us to ground our lives in his character and in who he is.
2: Uh, Those of you who are familiar with the Enneagram, which is a personality kind of typing thing that we talk a lot about here in our community because it helped Steph and I understand who we are, I'm an Enneagram type three, which is called the achiever or the performer. And uh, if you want to know what being me is like, it's my whole life is like that Lady Gaga song, I Live for the Applause. I live for the applause, the applause, applause, the applause, applause, I live for the applause, applause. Um, I like to be noticed, and I like to be rewarded for what I do. It's, and so the problem with that is this: these three verses, these three sets of verses in Matthew chapter 6, uh, where Jesus kind of comes up against that. He says, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Okay, then he says again... When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Jesus is saying, when you practice your righteousness in order to be seen and noticed, being seen and noticed is the reward that you will get, is all the reward you will get. But he says then, but when you pray, go away by yourself and shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Then Jesus says this. Uh, when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Side note, comb, comb your hair, wash your face. Good advice in all seasons and at all times. Um, but Jesus is saying this because when people fasted at this point in Jerusalem and, and in Judea, they would, they would muss up their hair and put ash on their face so that everybody knew they were fasting. Now here's the deal. If I ever fast you'll know because I'll just be really cranky, right? I'll just be mean. Um, And uh, he says, when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. What's interesting about this is Jesus is unpacking this idea that there is a reward, which is a three. I'm like, yes, how do I win it? Right? And the way that we, so first of all, we need to talk about what is the reward and how do I win it? Well, I win the reward not by doing things for the applause, not by doing things for others to see, but simply doing them so I can be in relationship with my Father. And the reward is nothing less than Jesus. The reward is nothing less than Jesus Because here's what Jesus is trying to unpack for us. It is possible for Kyle to preach so that you tell me what a good job I did. It is possible for our teams here to serve so that they can be noticed and receive appreciation. But when we do that, the only reward that we ever get, the only gain that we ever have is the gain of other people's approval, other people's applause, and other people's notice. But Jesus is calling us to a different kind of righteousness, a different kind of audience. Some would call it the audience of one, that we look not to others for approval or for thanks. And I'm not saying that saying thanks isn't important. I'm constantly thanking the people that are serving. But we don't do it for that. We do it so that we can have more of Jesus. That's really why we practice our righteousness and I don't know why I kind of highlighted this because I don't necessarily know if I have like a concrete so what of what to do. Other than to tell you a story about when I was, the church I grew up in is here in Warren and there's this guy that, to be honest, I'm pretty sure he walks on water in his spare time, okay? Like he's just a, like a dear, dear heart of a man named Jim Garber and I, I just have so much affection for him. When I first felt a call to ministry, I really wanted to be, a music pastor because I really, actually, I love music, but I really just love Jim, and uh, so I shadowed Jim some, and I would help him a lot at the church. And Jim, at the time, was probably in his fifties. I mean, a precious man. Like, there's no other word to describe it. He's just great. Like, and he smells like heaven. Do you know what I mean? Like, he just smells like he's this person around whom, like, a culture of heaven just blossoms up. And uh, some of you are nodding because you know him. And and Jim. One time we were—I don't remember what we were doing—but it was a hot mess. I just remember like nothing was working that we were supposed to work. We're in the tech booth, everything is freaking out, and I turn around to ask Jim a question, and I see him, and he's just standing there like this, and and he was praying, so that he probably didn't rip somebody's face off. You know what I mean? And. I think what's interesting about this idea of not doing things for the applause, and even when Steph's talking about making our prayer life compelling, there's a difference between making our prayer life compelling for people and making sure everybody knows that we're praying, right? And, and I think the thing about Jim was that what was so compelling about his walk with Jesus um, was that it was just very real. And he wasn't standing there to pray so that we all thought how spiritual he was. There was something in that moment that I got to witness a man being in relationship with his father in the midst of a hard moment. And so I guess my question is like, maybe like a gut check for you and the ways that you're serving, like, and the way, the things that you do for the Lord, like, where are you doing them that it's more about you than it is about the people that you're serving, or more importantly about the Jesus that you're doing it for? Like, notice in yourself when this is starting to become about, like, your kind of getting patted on the back and and you kind of getting the good job because what Jesus wants to give us is more of himself. And when we seek after the applause of other people, we actually kind of forfeit that. And ultimately, that's what, side note, leads to burnout. And I think the other thing, real quick, is if you're like one of the people that come early and stay late to make regen happen, like Jesus sees that. And uh, I think that's really cool. Um, In a season where I've not had to do the setup and teardown for like a year and a half, Um, I receive it Lord but like those of you uh, because there were many nights for about two and a half years we did that but those of you that are doing that and coming early and staying late like Jesus so sees that um, and is thankful for it so why don't you wrap us up
0: so here we are at the end of 16 weeks and um, a long sermon series and a long message actually it was asking Kyle and kind of trying to do some research I was like how long do these people sit for the Sermon on the Mount because it's felt like a really long time um, and there's, there's not, scholars don't know if they actually sat for the whole thing, obviously portions of it, and then some of it were maybe teachings from other things. But um, so the final uh, verse here from Matthew 7, verse 28, I believe. There it is, okay. Um, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of the religious law. So after all this teaching that Jesus has done, Um, the crowds weren't blown away because it was unlike anything they'd ever heard before. In fact, much of what Jesus was saying came from the Old Testament, um, which was the only scripture that they had. And if they were good Jewish people, they would have known that scripture. Like, they would have had it memorized. And so portions of what Jesus was saying came from the minor prophets, from Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel. And um, there's a biblical scholar that I kind of took a lot of this last section from, and he said, um, at the end... Um, of the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds are amazed, but this isn't so much because the content is new, but because of the clarity, strength, and authority with which Jesus teaches. His teachings are radical, um, but not out of the blue. And... Um, Jonathan Pennington, the guy who said this, wrote like a whole article on it, and we, we'll share that link this week on social media. But um, he, his whole point is that the Sermon on the Mount was not meant to shame people or to dangle before them all these unrealistic expectations that they had to do to meet the favor of God. Because then we'd just be dealing with a new law, right? Like if it was unattainable... That would be just like the old law. So this that's not what this is. Rather, it's an invitation. And I would say maybe the most invitation we'll ever receive, an invitation into a life of discipleship, a life of living like Jesus, and a life that brings God's kingdom here to earth. Um, at this time in history, disciples were people who followed a teacher or a rabbi closely. And so they would follow this rabbi around from town to town. As he taught, they would learn his teachings and his sayings, um, and would memorize them. And so actually, um, this the Sermon on the Mount was meant to be memorized and to be meditated on in a way that transformed people's lives in every way: their thoughts, their actions, their hearts, their motives. Um, and so, uh, like, not that my encouragement is to go home and memorize it, because let's be honest, we aren't really people that do that, but if you do, that's awesome. But um, after such a long series where we've covered so many topics, like Kyle said, this is touched on every area of our lives. Um even today we've done several different topics. I just I my encouragement to you, my challenge to you would be it's easy to be moved in the moment by a, a sermon. It's easy to think, oh yeah, I should pray the Lord's Prayer this week, or I should be a little more aware of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Is it for other people's applause or opinions? Um and, and James warns against us just hearing things and walking away. In James 1, 22 through 24, he says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. And so if there's something, um, we're going to have a little time of uh, reflection here during a song. Um, If there's something during the Sermon on the Mount that really the Lord drew your attention to, something that... um, You know, when you thought about it, it just really has kind of stuck with you, or even today that it was highlighted for you. Um, I want to encourage you to take this moment and ask the Lord to reveal what that is and what He wants for you to do with that. Um, Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount are meant to transform us, they're not just meant to be pithy sayings, they're meant to be transformational. So, um, as the worship band comes, we're going to have a song. You can stand and sing, you can sit and pray. You can think through maybe what your response would be on the back of your bulletin. There's two sections um, that you can fill out if that's what you want to do, but um, just don't let this moment pass you by if there's a way that the Lord's getting your attention.
2: Let me pray for you while the band gets themselves together. (sighs) Jesus, it's, I, I think it's fair to say, Jesus, that the genuine intent of our heart in this particular moment is to build our lives on you. And, uh, but we recognize that, um, that there is a, often a big gap between our intentions and our actions. And so, God, would you just help us close that gap a little bit today as we respond to you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the broken body of Jesus. It's his blood poured out for us that is the guarantee that, his, that the rock won't move and that his love cannot be undone. Um, the way that we experience this together is, well, we receive it every week. And as long as you have a pulse, you're welcome to this table. So uh, in a minute, I'll invite you forward. You'll receive a piece of the bread. You dip it in the cup. Uh, taste and see the Lord is good. My invi- invitation to you is then return to your seat and stay standing as we kind of just Proclaim some true things as we close our time together. So um, Zachary and Steph um, and uh, Randy Banning, can I borrow you? She seemed to be having a moment. I'm feeling bad about that. Um, Father, we pray, why don't you do this? We pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ, that in the eating and drinking of them we might be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood under a banner of your love that cannot be undone. Amen. There's this constant refrain in scripture that says those who put their trust in him will not be put to shame. Those who put their trust in him will not be put to shame. Uh, May you this week when the ground seems shaky put your trust in Jesus who is our firm foundation. I love you. We'll see you next time. Peace.